0: How do you bring an unknown brand out of obscurity? How do you build awareness for a cause that needs our attention? In this episode, it's all about small budgets and big impacts as we dive into Guerrilla Public Relations. I'm sitting down with David Richard, who is the CEO of his own PR firm and a professor here at Emerson College, to learn why this public relations strategy makes sense as well as how to use it. We'll discuss what Guerrilla PR is where it fits into the broader scheme of public relations, and how you can devise a successful guerrilla PR campaign of your own. This is Campus on the Common, the podcast of bright ideas from Emerson College's School of Communication. Broadcasting from Boston, Massachusetts, I'm your host, Emerson College alumnus and professor of communication studies, Mark Brody. David Richard, the founder and owner of Big Fish PR, as well as a fellow Emersonian and professor here at the School of Communications. Welcome to Campus on the Common. So Dave, tell me, what is Guerrilla Public Relations?
1: So Guerrilla PR is, uh, is really about doing more with, with less. It really looks at creating awareness, establishing credibility or influence with a relatively small or no budget whatsoever, but with, uh, with big payouts. Could you give me an example of how this is used in the real world? One of my favorites for around the time of Halloween is Reese's, uh, the Reese's brand does a a really great job owning Halloween for very little money. And what they do is they wrap a vending machine with Reese's branding and they bring it to a neighborhood in New York where they help the neighborhood close off the street and host a Halloween night where kids can go and trick-or-treat. They go all the house they go to all the houses, they collect the candy. And then there's this one Reese's vending machine that's glowing brightly in the middle of the street. And what it is, it's a candy exchanger. You take all the candy that you got from trick-or-treating in the houses that kids don't like. And we all know if you've ever gone trick-or-treating, there's good, there's all right, and then there's like those those brands that just the kid just won't ever touch. They put that in to this candy exchanger and it spits out Reese's Peanut Butter Cups at you. They own Halloween for this. And so this happens in New York City on one of the few streets that actually looks residential. And so what they have done is they've created something that's newsworthy for that particular day. All the different news agencies in New York are specifically looking for relevant footage of Halloween trick-or-treaters. They're going to go to the street and they're going to film it and they can't use last year's footage because the costumes change. You know, if all of a sudden all you're seeing is, you know, the Star Wars characters from Star Wars, you know, movie two two movies ago, it's going to feel dated. So they do this every year and every year without fail. Broadcasters show up, CNN, Bloomberg. You've got the New York Times, the Daily News. They're going to get coverage plus all the local news outlets, the the CBS, ABC, NBC affiliates, which by the way, feed into Good Morning America, The Today Show, all this. So in my opinion, this is absolutely brilliant. If you look at Reese's advertising and PR budget, it's extraordinary. But the cost of closing down a street for one evening, which the neighborhood will ask to do anyway, is probably zero dollars. The cost of buying one of these vending machines and wrapping it, it probably costs more to move it there every Halloween and store it than it does to actually execute this once they've got it done the first time.
0: It sounds like genius. For the cost of probably a detail officer to lock off that street, to move the vending machine to put it in place, very few dollars, but what an amazing public relations return. But for something like that, it sounds like an agency's
1: involved. Are there elements with guerrilla PR that mere mortals can apply? Sure, certainly what we study at uh, at Emerson is like what do you do if you're the startup? What do you do if you are a company that has an emerging brand that does not have the clout that could, you know, pull in the CNNs or the Bloomberg's just, you know, with name alone. And this is sort of the scale of guerrilla PR. At a higher level, a brand like Reese's. They probably spend, I don't know, 20 million, 30 million, I don't even know how many million that the budget is. This was maybe $10,000 $15,000. If you take that ratio and apply it to a startup company which probably has a total budget of maybe $5,000 for a year for marketing, it's you're talking a couple hundred dollars if 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 even that. And so what we look at is how to plan and execute PR campaigns for no money at all. It really comes down to being resourceful. It's almost looking at it uh, as if it was a startup itself. Bubble gum and shoelaces and spit, you can literally run a PR campaign for $0 if you put the time into it and the sweat equity, and it will pay off. And what I mean by that is, look, you need to build a media list. You need to understand where, where the press are. There are databases that are really expensive out there that you could use to find the reporters, but that's you know out of reach for an early stage company. Those databases, though, are accessible through other resources, through the Emerson Library, for example. Emerson, I don't know if you know this, Mark, but Emerson has a subscription to uh, a media database. Uh, you have to go into the library and ask the reference librarian to log you in, but you can do that and you can type in any keyword you want and it'll spit out every reporter that covers that particular you know, topic. And so you can build a media list, and that's a, that's a place to start. The strategies and the tactics that we teach, not just in my class, but in your classes and the other classes down down the hall and here at Emerson, they teach the strategy of you know what what is the key message Who is the audience? This takes thinking. It takes thought, but it doesn't cost anything. It might take more time to do it. You might not get the polished look you might expect out of, say, an apple or a Reese's, but you'll get it. And if you do it right and you think through it, you'll, you'll be able to start getting press. So that is, in my opinion, when you're doing sort of like really sort of like grassroots, whether it's, you know, early stage companies or upstart you know, politicians, political campaigns, nonprofit advocacy, you know, a lot of the time there's not a big budget. So it's you, you kind of have to roll your sleeves up and do it yourself. And that, I think, is the sort of the cornerstone to guerrilla PR. Is there a checklist we
0: could go through for the uninitiated so that we could essentially create a guerrilla PR campaign? And what I'm talking about is, you know, do we get the media list first? Should we think about messaging? For somebody that hasn't had the benefit of public relations training, what are the first few steps one would have to take in order to create a guerrilla PR campaign?
1: Great question, Mark. And it starts with research, research that's guided by campaign planning. So it's understanding the basic principles of, of campaign planning. And th- and this you know, applies to not just public relations, it applies to advertising, marketing, you know, a number of the the things that we did when we were working uh, on on our masters here at at Emerson. Uh, fun fact: Mark and I did our, our masters sitting next to each other uh, in a couple of classes. But you know, it starts like like I said, it starts with research, um, knowing your audience, understanding the audience, the segmentation for that audience, and then digging deep, understanding what motivates them. You know what what's going to get them to pay attention and potentially to to change behavior, and, and really that's. That's what you're looking for is either behavior change or attitude change. That's how you create awareness. It's how you create influence and establish credibility, which are really the three main goals for any PR program. And so, you know, starting off with what the outcomes are that you're looking for, almost asking yourself the question, what does success look like? And then once you understand what success looks like, then it's breaking down the various components of that. So it's the audience, the, the target segmentation, uh, what we want them to hear, what we want them to believe and what we want them, the call to action, the, the behavior change and what the steps we want them to take. And then working back to that, it's OK, well, what's the message? What are the key messages that we need to, to get along to convey in the various sort of brief, concise ways that we work on? In you know message development and you know the communications writing that we study here at Emerson, from there, it's the message delivery, and that's where you can get really, really fun and really creative. Like you know the examples, the 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 Reese's uh, vending machine. By the way, I don't know how this happened, but I just became a sucker for for vending machines and their use in guerrilla PR marketing. It's just this idea of inanimate objects, the the environment kind of surprising you. And you see this with like flash mobs and like there's been all kinds of different guerrilla campaigns that usually in one way, shape or form involve an object from or the environment itself acting in some non-natural way. And so going back to, you know, sort of the, the creative and the fun, uh, I'll, I'll take you through a, uh, a nonprofit that also involves a vending machine. So UNICEF an organization uh, Mark and I know very well, we did some work with you know, way back when. They, uh, for World Water Day, uh, they wanted to come up with a campaign to educate essentially the core of the first world to the, the water problems that humanity has you know, around the world, not in downtown New York. But they wanted to create awareness about this in downtown New York. That could be a real challenge. You're trying to break through the noise in New York City is like a real trick. Everybody's seen everything, you know, they, nobody has time for, for, for anything, and you have this information overload like from Times Square. So what UNICEF did is they branded a, uh, a vending machine. What they did that was different is each individual button that could have been, say, for Coke or Sprite or, or whatnot was for a different waterborne disease, malaria dengue fever any of these things they filled this machine up with dirty bottled water and you could put money in the machine and it was a donation and it would spit out a dirty water now nobody drank the dirty water but just by doing this the shock value this is a publicity stunt it ended up in the new york times on cnn everywhere and they literally just took this vending machine out to Union Park for a day, and uh, they had you know, ambassadors around, surrounding this, uh, asking people if they wanted dirty water, and it was the dirty water campaign. These are the things. If you if you break that down, the the message there uh, is a get there get the attention. B, hey, there's a problem with our water supply you might not impact you living in New York because you've got this great water that you make bagels with but you know everybody else uh, is is on the like a some scale below that and uh, by being able to get into national media whether it's the New York Times or national broadcast like CNN they suddenly have the medium to be able to to really spread the message out there and it really started, uh, with that creative idea, but working backwards, looking at the audience, how to reach the audience, getting the message to the audience. These are all the various components that are there. They vary from campaign to campaign, but there's, they're always there, which is, you know, who's the target audience? What's the creative medium to be able to get to them? And what's the message that we're going to be you know, relaying?
0: Is sensationalization a core element with guerrilla PR?
1: It can be there's a number of ingredients that make a campaign quote unquote go viral some of these are easily replicated and some are not so given a couple examples of you know brands using vending machines and i don't think that that will ever go out of style but then there are others like the ice bucket challenge where it's like it's owned by you know ALS no other nonprofit or any other brand for that matter, could do uh, something similar to the Ice Bucket Challenge. It's just synonymous with that nonprofit. But at the core, it's not necessarily that it's sensational, it's that it breaks through the mundane. It's something that's new and different that you notice. It's like, you you walk through a park every day and there's always green grass. You walk through one day and there's a bright red rose you're gonna pay attention, it's gonna get your attention because it wasn't there before, now it is. It grew overnight. That's kind of what you're looking for. A way to sort of tap into the conscious and subconscious of um, your audience and almost bring from like the fringe of conscious to direct line of sight, something that then demands the attention and once the attention is captured, that delivers the message.
0: How would guerrilla public relations be different from what we consider traditional public relations?
1: Sure. So it is a subset. Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of campaigns actually practice, you know, a a form of guerrilla PR as part of the the larger you know budget and larger you know campaign. Traditional PR is uh, is really about engaging the public um, in discourse. And in some ways, kind of like building up from these sort of like you know publicity stunts or just these guerrilla little micro campaigns, uh, is more like traditional media relations, where you're not necessarily putting on an event. You're looking at the internal news of an organization and understanding how it might impact the the general sort of news cycle and work to break the news from inside the organization out of the the exterior walls of the organization into the sort of the local regional or national media that takes time it takes a lot of diligence and you know work day in and day out but it's a lot more expensive to do this you need bodies to be watching the news understanding the reporters what the reporters are looking for having conversations with them and then going back and parsing the various stories within the organization in and building them in a way that are consumable by the the editors and the reporters that are out there and getting quote unquote you know press coverage for or the brand, or the client, or whatnot, and then there's even larger than that outside of what is media relations is just the general public and public relations. Uh, a lot of that is forward-looking, building goodwill before, hopefully, like nothing bad does happen. But you know, almost getting and setting up your get out of jail free cards in advance. You know, so like the brands that do well and do good at the same time, meaning that, look, they're they're making money like they're in a business. They're supposed to be doing that. Um, but they're also doing good by their consumers or some other group, the community as a whole. Those brands tend to fare better when they step in it in some way, shape or form. And that is very much a component of public relations. But also, a lot more time, a lot more expense goes into that than, you know, a quick hit one day event that, you know, gets, you know, gets attention.
0: It makes one wonder, what is the role of ethics in guerrilla public relations? And it, does it differ from that of traditional public relations?
1: I don't know that it necessarily differs. I like to think about the PR skills that we that we teach and that we impart under our students here at Emerson as almost like a superpower. I have seen some campaigns do wonderful things in terms of create awareness about some new health breakthrough, clean water, adopting animals and really moving the needle in a way that advertising or marketing could never do. When you learn information with feeling that doesn't come from sort of the paid perspective but comes from, you know, word of mouth or from, you know, your own, you know, self-education, like reading a newspaper, reading online, listening to a podcast, it goes a lot, a lot further. That said, I've also seen, like, the really bad, dark underbelly of PR. I've seen PR firms bring our country to war. I've seen, you know, we had actually a professor here who taught in what is, I guess, now our department, Edward Bernays, uh, who's, you know, very much credited as the, the father of modern day public relations. If your listeners have anyone in their family uh, who's a woman that has uh, emphysema or lung cancer uh, in some way, shape or form related to smoking, we can thank Edward Bernays because he was the guy who came up with the campaign to help the, uh, the tobacco industry increase their sales by making the act of cigarette smoking not a dirty masculine behavior, but uh, more a, a leisurely activity that can be enjoyed by all.
0: An unfortunate reality of, of history. Interesting, you mentioned how public relations has in the past brought us to war, and my immediate thought was, was yellow cake in the first Iraqi war? How that happened, we were going against Saddam because he had the possibility of chemical weapons, nuclear weapons, etc. Turns out he that was way overstated. Mm. Uh, but because of the machine that was created by the, the U.S. administration at the time, a public relations exercise, if you will, we got the world on, most of the world on board, and the next thing so you know, we're at war. So it's, an, it's a very interesting point about the ethics of public relations.
1: Believe it or not, both wars in Iraq were very much sold to the American public through uh, a public relations campaign. The uh, one was done, as you said, through you know, selling the world on the existence of weapons of mass destruction, um, whether they existed or not. Uh, and uh, the other was uh, sold to the American public um, based on Christian right. And uh, we were not going to send our soldiers to Iraq in the first place to die for oil. But it was the, it was the babies that were being um, taken by the Iraqis out of the incubators and left on the cold floors of the of the hospitals that was sold to the American public through a uh, through Senate testimony. And it turned out that, yeah, the woman who testified, you know, she she was Kuwaiti, but she hadn't been to Kuwait in years. You know, She was relaying a true actual story, but she didn't see it. You know, it, it was very much like, a, you know, a set up story to, to feed to the public.
0: Be that as it may, that seems more like a formal public relations campaign compared to guerrilla public relations. I'm wondering how did the term guerrilla public relations come about? When they
1: say guerrilla, what does that mean? It's the French guerrilla, not not the uh, the guerrilla that we uh, that, that we're, we think about in in you know zoos and in in the Congo. It's the the type of warfare that is conducted when you uh, you're the smaller army and you don't have the resources that the the big armies have if you think of the american revolution is a perfect example of this uh, you know we had the american soldiers uh, if you even want to call them that um, taking pot shots at the british from behind rocks and and trees and sort of quote unquote fighting unfair where you had sort of like the established uh, regiment. The, these are the the British, like lining up, wearing bright red, you know, uh, coats, which made Makes them for great targets. Tar- great targets. <laughs> you know, like they, they basically did everything wrong. They were set up for, you know, like line-on-line warfare. And so the idea behind guerrilla warfare is to to get in, to hit quick, and then to disappear, um, and that's exactly what you're seeing in these campaigns, right? It's you know they're not, it's not something that's that's run for for months. Um, it's something that you know pops up and then you know disappears. Um, in you know, funny enough, um, the the word pop up works really well um, with this. And that in retail over the last you know five, 10 years, there's been this uh, sort of new phenomenon uh, called pop up shops where a store can, can open up and be you know, open in a location for one month and then close down. And it's a way that you know, um, real estate owners can optimize revenue for a shop that's just sitting there vacant. And uh, this gets used a lot. This strategy gets used a lot for Guerrilla PR. And one of my favorite campaigns, I laugh every time I think about this, is the Payless brand. And the Payless brand opened up a store uh, in an empty uh, shop uh, in in Los Angeles. I won't even say it was on Rodeo Drive. and uh, they, the shop was Paylessy. <laughs> and they take they took all the Payless shoes uh, and they they marked them up, you know, I think they added like a zero behind. Every every shoe, and you can find this on, on on YouTube if you search for it. I almost feel like they went too far because they made people look foolish, which is is kind of like my my one of my big rules of like what not to do with the gorilla PR campaign is to make people look foolish. Um, but they had influencers come out, and I have no problem with this because like sometimes I feel like influencers are a little too full of themselves. They had them recorded talking about the various shoes that they they saw in Pelesi, and they. I don't know if it was a fake accent or what, but it was. Oh, this is the 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 best! I can't believe this shoe. I've never seen a shoe like this, and it's a Payless shoe for like you know the, you can get down the street at Payless for for twenty dollars. But uh, yeah, it 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 really like there's so many like takeaways and lessons from from that that campaign, and uh, it's it's one of one of my favorites that I like to share as a case study with uh, with my students.
0: <laughs> Fantastic, It makes me think of um, my friends who.
1: Don't go to Target, they go to Target. Completely. In, in fact, I wouldn't be surprised if if that was actually the inspiration for Paylessy.
0: Correct <laughs> to know next time I'm looking for shoes. When you look at all forms of media out there, public relations, marketing, communications in general, how effective is Guerrilla
1: Public Relations? When it works, it's incredibly effective. I can't say what the percentage of guerrilla campaigns work? Because it's if if one was fired off and it didn't work, does anybody even notice? We don't really know uh, what the success rate is. But what I can say is that every one of these is uh, is like a fun experiment. And I encourage the marketers and the publicists and the communicators that are listening to this podcast to think about how to experiment you know, with their communications programming, using the strategy of guerrilla PR and knowing that like it might work, it might not work, but the risk reward, that's where you really want to look at this because the risk is so minimal. Like I said, if, if you fire off one of these campaigns and it doesn't work, it didn't really cost you all that much. It cost you some time you know, maybe your you know internal ego that you know it didn't it didn't get the traction that you were you were planning on or you were expecting. Don't get down on it. Double down on it. Go and look at what didn't work and tweak it and try it again. These things don't cost a whole lot of money. They cost time, and like I said, they can cost a little ego if it uh, if it doesn't doesn't catch.
0: In a remaining time, could you offer our audience three takeaways regarding guerrilla
1: PR? for those listeners that you know are involved in the communications programming guerrilla PR is a fantastic experiment that should always be run it doesn't cost a lot of money it might not work the first time it might not work the fifth time but eventually you'll get it and it will pay off so there's my my first takeaway second takeaway look at the environment everything changes always the seasons change the technology changes, and every bit of change creates an opportunity to tap into and try something from a guerrilla PR standpoint. So think about how you can tap into the trend, tap into the season, tap into the the new technology uh, that's out there and Get your message across using Guerrilla PR in some way, uh, tapping into that. For the third uh, takeaway, this is more for the entrepreneurs listening, is that it is the best, easiest time ever to start a communications company. The the tools and the resources to be able to run campaigns are more readily available, uh, more cost effective, uh, and in some cases even free compared to five, ten years ago. As someone who started uh, an agency 20 years ago, uh, I'm very jealous of the people who are starting agencies today uh, because I had to build or invest in a lot of the tools and technologies that are just free or available for download today.
0: You've been listening to Campus on the Common. I'm your host, Mark Brody. We spoke with David Richard, a professor in the School of Communications that teaches courses in guerrilla public relations, sports PR, political communications, speech writing, thought leadership, and global public relations. Outside of Emerson College, Dave is the founder and CEO of the Boston tech PR firm, Big Fish PR, an award-winning tech PR agency which represents publicly traded companies, sovereign nations, professional athletes, and white hot startups. Campus on the Common is a production of Emerson College School of Communication. Our executive producer is Dean Raoul Rice. Lucas Poiser is our producer and chief engineer. Chase Taylor is our associate producer. Campus on the Common provides an expert view into the field of media and communication through the field of academic experts and industry professionals from Emerson and beyond. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.